0: This morning's message is entitled The Advent of True Glory. Or we could say The Arrival of True Glory. And that's what we're going to talk about. It's Christmas season, and we we all enjoy this season for a whole bunch of reasons. And as believers in Jesus, there are lots of different topics and themes that we get to think about this time of year that are helpful to us. And, and one of the themes is the theme or the concept of glory: that the coming of God into this world through Jesus through the little baby born thousands of years ago, that His coming was the advent of true glory, the greatest glory, really. And if we can think about this a bit this morning, I believe this, this truth of the glory of God seen in the birth of Christ actually can minister healing to us, comfort to us, and freedom to us as we consider this amazing truth of the glory of God seen in the lowly, humble birth of Christ. So that's what we're going to think about. But to get us started, if you would, think with me about an old expression. Maybe you've heard this before, an old adage, and it goes like this. Never meet your heroes. You ever heard that? Never meet your heroes. And that's kind of a warning that some people have said historically, because what tends to happen when you meet your heroes is that you tend to realize they're not as great as you thought they were. That inevitably you experience some kind of disappointment. You were drawn to them because of some kind of glory that they had. Some kind of honor. They were extremely powerful in some way. Or popular in some way. Maybe something about their their personality. Their influence. Something impressive that you were drawn to. That you admired from a distance. And yet what tends to happen and is often the case in this life and our experiences as we get close to those people... And the expectations are dashed, or the illusion of who we thought someone was ends up a great disappointment as we see them closer. Now, I've, I've had a few experiences like that. I, I've met a few people who I considered at certain seasons of my life to be heroes, and I'm going to tell you about one of those stories. So in the year, I think it was the year 2000, I got to meet Hulk Hogan. And I grew up in the 80s. And I was what was known back then as a Hulkamaniac. Do we have any Hulkamaniacs in the audience that are willing to admit it? A few, all right, a few, a handful. Appreciate that, Brian, appreciate it. A few, I'm not the only one. So I I loved Hulk Hogan, man, for a whole bunch of reasons. Big, strong dude, he's a real American. He had that song, I Am a Real American, remember that? And uh, watched him on wrestling for, for years. Well, fast forward, it's the year 2000. Jill and I are students in Clearwater, Florida, and we had heard rumors that Hulk Hogan lived in Clearwater, and some were hearing that and hearing people talk about seeing him driving a sports car or seeing him in his Hummer nearby. There was one rumor about him being on our campus at one time, and so it was kind of this mystique about Hulk Hogan being in that area. Well, here Jill and I were in the uh, Clearwater Mall Christmas shopping before heading home for Christmas break, and we're walking around. And all of a sudden, I see, there he is. There's Hulk Hogan. He's got the cut-off sleeve shirt on. And it's like, I, I reverted back to my eight-year-old self, and I was in awe. I was, this is, I mean, I thought I was too cool for this, but at the time, I'm like an eight-year-old again, I'm like, Jill, that's Hulk Hogan. Like, I was blown away. And of course, we didn't have smartphones back then, so I'm like, I gotta, I gotta meet him. So... So I, hate, I, was, I felt like weird about it. So I'm like, Jill, you stay here. I'm going to go see if I can meet him. And so she just watched from afar as I walked up to him and quickly got what I like to call the celebrity stiff arm where he's like, get away from me, kid. I'm shopping. Literally, that's like what he said to me. I'm like, dude, uh, crumbling, everything inside of me. Like, I looked up to you for so long, man. And uh, so that was my experience meeting Hulk Hogan. So I'm not as impressed with him now, as I was as a kid. I don't even really like him anymore. It's good to see him aging, shriveling up. It's good, good. You're not so great. But I've had other experiences like that as well. And probably you've had an experience like that. And maybe it wasn't some celebrity or some famous person. Maybe even like, like a family member or somebody that you looked up to from a distance and then you got close to them. You got to know them. And as you did, you saw that they weren't the person of integrity you thought they were, or they weren't as impressive as you thought they were, or they weren't as selfless as you thought they were. Maybe they were more selfish, not as loving, maybe a little bit too into themselves. Well, we've had those types of experiences, and that's the way it can be in our, in our humanness. And we, we admire these people, as I said, we even admire their version of kind of human glory, and yet it really isn't all that glorious, and we experience disappointment. And so there's like this trajectory we could say the storyline kind of moves in this direction of initially being impressed. Initially it seems like they have glory but the more time goes on or the more you see you realize no they're deeply deeply flawed. Well with the Christmas story it's it's in a very real sense it's the opposite of that and it's far more amazing and far more powerful than any kind of False or counterfeit human glory. I began thinking about this recently in John chapter 1. And so turn to John's gospel. We're going to jump around in John's gospel, a few other places as well, but mainly in the gospel of John. And let me just read to you verse 14, which was weeks and weeks ago, maybe months ago now, we started this study in the gospel of John, Pastor Rob and myself. And at one point, there was a sermon that touched on this verse, but it, it stuck with me, and it says this in verse 14 of chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and, and truth. And so there's that idea of when, when Jesus was born into this world, the Word, the, the Lagos, the living God, became flesh. And when people looked upon Him, with their natural eyes, they saw glory. Now, you can stay in John. I'm going to go over to Luke because I want to read in Luke 2 one of the Nativity stories. We have the different versions of this and the different Gospels, but I want to read to you from Luke chapter 2. And, and you can, if you want to turn there, you can. If you don't, it's not convenient for you, you don't have to. I'm going to read it. But uh, Luke 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. It's a familiar, the story of, of Jesus' birth. And, and I'm going to do something a little unique here. I'm going, to, I'm going to read verse 14 first, okay? And then I'm going to back up and read the whole thing through. But, but the way this section ends is with these words. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. There's an irony here. So now, let me back up and read from verse One, because this is an ironic manifestation of glory. It says, Now in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, "...to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night." And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. I said this is, uh, this is a little bit ironic because it has that exclamation in the end, Glory to God in the highest. And yet when you consider what was playing out here, it was in a way kind of like the lowest. How would you expect the creator God to enter this world? The king of kings. I mean, wouldn't you expect him to be born into an obviously wealthy family? Wouldn't you be expect him to be born in, in like a, a palace or or have the best care at that time? And yet he's born to this to this young couple, these two nobodies. They're poor, they're traveling, experiencing hardship, they look to try to get a room in this inn, and they're rejected. They're turned away, and so so the King of Kings is born in an animal stable, in a, in a barn, basically. I mean, God in the flesh, born in a barn. I mean, think of the the sounds, the smells of a barn. And then this little this little dependent baby, like Almighty God, in the form of a dependent baby, and this baby is laid in a in a manger. And we think of, of mangers because of how we've kind of sterilized this over the years traditionally, this cute little image of a baby in a little manger. You know what a manger is? You know what it's for? It's for, it's for feeding animals. It's a trough. It's not, this is not royal treatment. And then you might expect that, that this announcement would be made to the most powerful people, to the elite, to the influencers. But instead, this announcement's made to, to lowly shepherds, to, to nobody's undignified nobodies. I mean, it's ironic. The, the highest of glories is revealed in the lowest of ways. Not some powerful family, but this poor couple. Not in a palace, but in an animal stable. Not born as a, as a powerful, independent, obviously influential way, but in this weak, dependent, kind of unlikely way. So I'm going to go back to John. John. We're drawn humanly to a certain kind of glory. That's what I was getting at earlier with the story I told you. I want to show you in John where Jesus talks about that with his infinite wisdom and this timeless truth that just the way it is in this world always has been, always will be as long as we humans are here. Listen to what he says to the religious leaders in John chapter 5. So you can jump from chapter 1 on to chapter 5. Verses 41 through 44, listen to what Jesus says here about human glory. Verse 41, he says, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? I mean, it's fascinating. He says, you ignore my glory. You're you're not enamored with my glory. You you, you kind of minimize my glory, and, and that remains the case, does it not? Do we humans just go on our way and think so little of Christ, even as believers so often we just think so little of Him? He says, you, you do not, naturally speaking, give me glory. He says, but but this is what you do is um, you play this game. You continue with this charade. He says, you receive glory from one another. And it's this idea that uh, you, you pass glory back and forth. Like counterfeit glory, you're, you're constantly passing it back and forth. You're, you're constantly drawn to the big, the powerful people of this world. You're, you're impressed with them. And, and they come in their own name. They come saying, hey, I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> and you buy it, he says. You're drawn to it. You, you want it for yourself. You try to, you try to enlarge your own your own version of yourself or your own image of yourself. You try to erect a a bigger, greater, more impressive version of yourself. It's just this charade. It's just this passing back and forth human glory. And and, and you're missing the real glory. You're you're missing the true glory. And and somewhere deep down, we all kind of know it's a sham, don't we? I mean, just think about how even the, the biggest of people the most impressive, the wealthiest, the prettiest, whatever, that fades, doesn't it? The the luster fades over time. So there's just the reality of life and how it goes and the breakdown of the body and the way things tend to go in that sense. And then there's what we talked about earlier in terms of the closer you get to such a person, they're not all that great. They put their pants on one leg at a time just like everyone else and they're selfish and they exploit others and they're not as amazing as they seem. I can't believe that I'm about to say this, but uh, social media has done us a great service in this regard. I'm not a huge fan, it's kind of a necessary thing in our day and age, but isn't it true that through social media we, we kind of get to see more of like these politicians or these athletes or these celebrities? And, you, and I mean, inevitably you see at some point into their lives and you see their hypocrisy, right? And you see their dark side. Like, it can't help but come out. Sometimes other people post stuff about them and you see, oh, wow, that's who they really are when the cameras aren't there or whatever or when they're not on the red carpet when someone catches them in an unexpected moment. So it's done us a great service in that it's just showing us in so many ways the truthfulness of what Jesus says here, which is human glory is a sham. And, of course, there's the the world's way of doing this and I even, I've had... Within the, the Christian realm, within the religious realm, I've met certain heroes that I admired. I've met individuals with international scope ministries that I looked up to that I modeled my whole view of ministry after, and it's really not all that different. They're still human beings. They're flesh and blood, and their glory is not really that glorious. Jesus says, "I come to reveal a different kind of, of glory, a glory that doesn't fade." A glory that's not false, a glory that's not misleading, but a true glory. So let's think about that. So he lives his life, and we're in the middle of the Gospel of John in our study. Pastor Rob, and myself, just tag teaming our way through here, and we've seen already some miracles, some pretty amazing things that Jesus has done. The turning the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And then we've got these other kind of miracles coming. You've got miracles like the raising of Lazarus from the dead comes later in John. These are, these are big, impressive, glorious things. But I want to show you something that's fascinating about the way the Gospel of John moves along. The way John wrote his Gospel is from the beginning he says things like this. He says, um, and he quotes Jesus as saying, My time is coming. My hour is coming. My hour has not yet come. And you can tell there's this anticipation. It's building towards something magnificent. Well, as you get to later in the Gospel of John, turn to chapter 12. Now we're at this last chapter of Jesus' life. We're at this final chapter. And it's the the moment we've all been waiting for, in a sense. And I want you to see what it says here. Look, it says in verse 23, Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay, the time is now. He's saying, "Here it is. It's happening. This is the moment we've all been waiting for." Now turn to John thirteen. This is this is in the same right in that same time period. Okay, John thirteen verses thirty one and thirty two. He says here. This is this is Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. Judas is the one who has just left to go betray Jesus and it says this in verse 31. Therefore, when he that is Judas had gone out, Jesus said, "Now is the son of man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately." Th- this is like this is like time for the explosion of glory. This is when glory is going to be seen in the clearest of ways in all of human history. This is the most magnificent display of glory. And humanly, what we would expect is we would expect for him to come in a normal display of power in crushing his enemies. This is where we would expect him, to reference earlier, to rip his shirt off, so to speak, and destroy and crush his enemies. This is when it all goes down. What is he describing? What is he talking about? What is this hour? Is this his time to destroy all those glory thieves? To put down those who were hostile toward him? Is it that time? I mean, that's the kind of glory that we would be drawn to, isn't it? The impressive, powerful type of glory. No, this is where he's betrayed. This is not where he crushes his enemies. This is where he heals them. This is not where he kills them. This is where he dies for them. This is when he goes to the cross. So so this life that began in this lowly, humble way Unlike with the human storylines that we talked about, human narratives where we just see the glory fades and the closer you get, the more you get your magnifying glass out and look at them and examine them, the more you see their faults and their blemishes and their selfishness and their hypocrisy. This is the opposite of that. The closer you look, the more you see true love. The more you see a person of integrity. The more you see selflessness. This is the only place you see It's here. A humble beginning and a humble end. A lowly beginning and a lowly end. A loving beginning and a loving end. A glorious beginning and a glorious end. It's it's such a good evidence of the gospel that we would never write such a story. We wouldn't write it this way. We wouldn't write about the hero losing, having everything stripped away from him. Even his closest friends, in this final hour when he needed them the most, his closest friends abandoned him to protect themselves. And when you see that, you see humanity. You see you, you see me, you see us. We can have moments of of loving service and we do, thankfully, and we we believe that God is behind and in that. The things that we get to do in this world to take care of other people, to protect other people and help other people. But by nature, naturally speaking, at the end of the day, we still have this natural self-interest. This natural, what we call sin, the flesh, the dark side of who we are that's just uh, self-congratulatory, self-inflating. And here we have God, Almighty God, humbling himself, laying his life down, serving that we might be rescued, that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven. Where Jesus goes to the cross and says, in your arrogance, this is what you would do to your God. You would, you would crucify, you would kill me. That you might, in your quest to be God, I am I am." A problem, I am in the way my glory is not attractive to you naturally speaking, and so you you kill me and, and, and now i 'm inviting you to look upon the cross and look upon what you would do to me and see me dying for you, and let that soften and break your heart in the best possible way to see wow now that is amazing love now that is true glory we, um, we cause ourselves so much harm in that we all we all want to have more than we have and be more than we are. We just we just want to be more than we are. That's part of kind of how we use social media and this is this is true of all of us. We tend to put our best foot forward on there, don't we? We, tend, we put up the pictures where we look good or our family looks good or we're having a good time. I mean, sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's a bunion on someone's foot or whatever. I never quite understand why. But sometimes it's that. But usually it's uh, it's the bigger, more impressive stuff. We curate. We put the best forward because we want to kind of enlarge our vision of of who we are or who our family members are or what we're proud of or whatever. And so often that does a disservice to us. And and we have a God who who literally in the incarnation makes himself smaller than he is. I mean, in measurements you, you can't even fathom like, infinitely smaller than almighty God who created the universe which is immeasurable in scope. Little baby. It's staggering. It's amazing. There's so many manifestations of the sinful, unhealthy version of this. And and of course we always think of the arrogant, the the glory thieves, the the, um, narcissists. And we can think of all different examples of who those people are and maybe you think of a certain politician or a certain celebrity or whatever, and you think that they're the, sort of the worst of the worst in that sense. But then there's this, this kind of lesser known but equally unhealthy version of self-centeredness and self-aggrandizement. And I, and, and I'll illustrate. And I think I shared this uh, in a study here recently. But I, my mind goes back to a professor I had who 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 taught at seminary in, at the college, and he. He talked about a counseling scenario in which he was counseling a young lady who, who the world would say had a very low self esteem, a very low image of herself, struggled with depression and, and, and just very, I mean, we'd call it, call it sort of clinical depression, okay? She's really, really dark for her and and a very terrible view of herself. But he said there was something that fascinated him is that he actually, as he was counseling her, it it was lunchtime. And so he said, hey, let's go to the cafeteria and continue the conversation. So they, they go to the cafeteria and he said he noticed something really fascinating. As they were walking through the salad bar line, this gal proceeded to pick out the best of every vegetable an item on there, the best cucumber, the best cherry tomato. I mean, the best of everything. Very carefully selecting the best for herself. So hmm, this is interesting. Someone who's has a very low view of themselves and they're beating themselves up and condemning themselves. And, they're, and then they lay out their life story. And it's all about all the things that didn't go well for them. All the ways they've been mistreated, all the ways that life has made them feel small, and yet even their selection of vegetables in a salad bar line says, I want to be big, I want to have more than I have, I want to be better than I am. And at some level, that's what haunts us. At some level, that's the root of our sin problem, it goes back to the garden. We want to be like God in our fleshly nature. And whether we have the obvious version of braggadocious kind of egomaniac version or the lesser lower woe is me victim kind of version either way it's we're just way too obsessed with ourselves and our own glory and here comes a god to rescue us and he comes in the lowest way why? Because that's where we really are. Not the lie, not the narrative we try to spin, the reality is we are from the dust and to the dust we will return, right? And so he meets us in the dust. And Jesus lives humbly accepting a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He was despised and rejected, it says in Isaiah. I mean, the things about us that we we know people kind of despise, we want to cover those up, we want to hide those, we want to overcompensate for those, and he just accepts being rejected. And he still Peaceful and joyful and loving and serving and focusing on the good of everyone around him. I mean, is is that just marvel over that? That is amazing. He is, as we think about it at Christmas time, giving and giving and giving and giving with nothing in return. Just freely giving. It is just amazing. And you see it in how he came in the first place and you see it in how he lived and you see it in how he died. And that's what Christmas is. Is all about. We try to make ourselves bigger than we are to our own peril. He made himself smaller than he was for our rescue. Philippians 2 was read earlier. I'm going to read it again. You can stay where you are if you want. Philippians 2. Just hear this familiar passage in light of all we've talked about. It says, Have this attitude in yourselves. And and literally, it's like, Hold on to this attitude. Hold on to this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this last thought I'll let you think about before we pray here. Is there something that is making you feel small or discouraged this Christmas. I know it's a time of year for many of us. It's a really happy time of year. I have really good Christmas memories. I enjoy it every year. Um, but I've lived long enough to know that the happiest time of year can also be the saddest time of year for lots of people. And, and I know there can be disappointments of all kinds. And I know that that losses even, maybe loved one, a loss of a loved one or a loss of a job or any kind of earthly loss can feel more exaggerated and pronounced at Christmas than any other time of year. Isn't that true? So whatever the, the bumps in your road are, whatever those are, I just want to ask you to think about in light of everything we've talked about, how those things make you feel maybe less than you want to feel. Maybe you have less in your bank account than you, than you want to have. Maybe it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tighter, the belt's been tightened or whatever this year, maybe um, you have fears about the future. Maybe since COVID in 2020, it's just never felt quite the same. I mean, I know people say that to me often. I kind of know what that seems like. I mean, whatever it is, whatever those circumstances are that that seem less than optimal, and maybe even deeply painful or deeply disappointing. Whatever those circumstances are that make us feel like humbled, I just want to invite you to not just gloss over them or fly by them or try to distract yourself, but just in a way kind of lean lean into them. Lean into those parts of life, those personal experiences, those hardships, the ones that make you feel small and lowly and lacking. And as you do, may your loving, redemptive creator meet you there. May he meet you there And minister to you his comfort, his grace, his love, his forgiveness. May you see his smallness at Christmas and be blown away. And count it a privilege to fellowship with his sufferings. And say, that's true glory. And and as you do, may, may God help you. May he help me to... The spillover of that would be to serve, to be grateful... To make the most of this time of year and the people that we get to spend it with to love as he's loved you. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the Christmas story. We are truly amazed as we think about Jesus and his great humility and great love. Lord, we all confess to you this morning that even as followers of Christ, so often we just demand more than we have We want to be so much bigger than we are. We admire the glory of other powerful people and we want to be powerful people. So many ways we keep playing that game and and we end up suffering as a result of that, often with depression or anxiety, sometimes with intense anger or hostility because of people who seem to get in the way of what we want. So many ways in which we get ourselves into trouble in our own grandiose view of who Of who we are, who we think we are sometimes, or what we think we should have, but help us God to accept the the placement of our lives that you 've sovereignly orchestrated, where you 've put us, where you 've ordained for us to be, even the specifics of where we 're at this Christmas season, the things about it we we like, things about it that we can easily celebrate and enjoy and aspects of it that we maybe don't like, feel humbling or humiliating in some way, that put us in our place in some way. God, we marvel over your coming into this world thousands of years ago in, in such a lowly way as a little baby who would grow up, learn, and develop even in the human aspects of Christ being, develop and, and, and just serve and serve and love and lay his life down moment after moment and, and all the amazing things he did to heal people, to set people free and then in the end, to display your greatness, the amazing greatness of your love in the most profound of ways by going to the cross. Greater love has no one in this than one lay down his life for his friends and that's what you did for us. And God, we we are just um, amazed. We marvel, we worship you, we celebrate you. Help us to do that even as we continue forward through the Christmas season and into Christmas Sunday next week. Help us, God, to have these reminders of the greatness of Jesus, to celebrate him, to share him, and to lovingly serve the people around us. And we thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen.